This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. We're coming to you a bit early this week due to the Independence Day holiday in the United States. This week's program will also focus on freedom and democracy. In Cuba, those fighting for those concepts are now using the Internet and other methods to push the political boundaries imposed by the state. We'll have a report. And the first Democratic primaries in Chile set up a classic ideological clash. We'll discuss the outcome. But first, Kurt Devine is here with this week's review of news from around Latin America. The case of U.S. fugitive Edward Snowden is resonating through diplomatic channels in Latin America. A plane carrying Bolivian President Evo Morales from Moscow was denied airspace in France and Portugal due to suspicions that Snowden was on board. The plane had to divert to Austria. Snowden is stranded in an air transit lounge in Moscow after the United States canceled his passport. A contractor for the National Security Agency, Snowden is responsible for revealing one of the NSA's domestic and global internet spying programs. Morales previously said Bolivia would consider granting asylum to Snowden, but Bolivian officials say Snowden was not on board the plane. Bolivia's foreign minister, David Joquehuanca, condemned the actions of Portugal and France. De que se han violado los derechos de tráfico the international air regulations have been violated. Not only have they been violated, we already had authorization. We follow the international protocol and we don't know where this misleading information came from, this sovereign lie. Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro said he would be willing to grant asylum to Snowden, but Venezuela has not yet received his formal request. Ecuadorian President Rafael Correa said Ecuador would also consider Snowden's request, but Correa changed his mind after U.S. Vice President Joe Biden called him about the Snowden case. Protests in Brazil are subsiding with announcements of plans for sweeping reforms. Brazil's President Dilma Rousseff introduced recommendations for a non-binding national vote, a plebiscite. She called for reforms in campaign funding and congressional voting procedures. Rousseff also proposed the government use oil profits to fund education and invest $23 billion in public transportation. Public approval of Rousseff has significantly declined since the start of the protests in May. Recent polls show only 29% of Brazilians approve of her performance. That's a 27-point drop since March. However, Brazil's recent victory in a major soccer tournament, the Confederation Cup, has also helped to appease national tensions. In June, millions of Brazilians took to the streets in more than 350 cities to protest low-quality public services. Attending the 2014 World Cup might become more than a fantasy for many international soccer fans. Officials of the tournament's governing body, FIFA, say tickets for next year's World Cup in Brazil will be the cheapest in history. About 70% of the matches will cost less than events in previous years. The Rousseff government has negotiated with FIFA to provide lower-priced tickets so middle-class Brazilians and others can enjoy the games in person. Ticket prices will be announced on July 19th. 
FIFA's president, Sepp Blatter, expressed fears that Brazil's infrastructure would not be ready for the tournament, however. Tens of thousands of dead fish washed ashore the banks of a reservoir in Mexico. A local mayor in the state of Jalisco accused a cattle food plant of dumping hundreds of liters of molasses into a nearby canal. The mayor says the pollution caused the fish to asphyxiate. About 180 families earn a living by fishing in the reservoir and could now struggle to make ends meet. In all, more than 1 million pounds of fish were lost. Mexican authorities say two teenagers were killed for taunting the son of a drug lord. Another teenager detained in the case led police to the bodies of the victims and said they were killed after they insulted the son of imprisoned drug cartel boss Jose Carrasco Coronel. From behind bars, Coronel leads the Sinaloa cartel in the states of Jalisco and Colima. For Latin Pulse, I'm Kurt Devine. We'll hear more from Kurt Devine later in the program. Earlier this week, Chile staged its first ever national presidential primaries. Former President Michelle Bachelet handily won the primaries for the leftist coalition that has been known as the Concertación, and that she likes to call the New Majority Coalition now. She will face Pablo Langura, Chile's former Minister of Economics, who now leads the Alliance for Chile, the right-wing coalition of parties. We turn to Dr. Lois Hecht Oppenheim for context on Chilean politics. She's with American Jewish University in Los Angeles, and she's the author of Politics in Chile. She joined us from Los Angeles via long-distance line. The results were, um, in some cases, expected, in some other areas, unexpected. Um, there were there are two major coalitions in uh, election coalitions in Chile. One we could call center left. One we could call center or right. And um, in the center left, this is the coalition that had been in power and, and controlled the presidency from redemocratization in 1990 until uh, 2000, um, until the election in 2009. And that would be um, the concertacion uh, right, with, with exactly. Michelle Bachelet, the former president, as their candidate now. Yes, correct, correct. I would so guess that was, that is that 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 is the the area that didn't provide much of a surprise. She was far ahead no, in the polls. Correct. She was far ahead in the polls. I think, however, what was surprising was the um, turnout. Um, there were the, that whole group. There were actually four candidates running under. Um, they actually didn't call themselves the Concertación this time because they actually brought in the coalition. They ran under the name of Nueva Mayoría or New Majority, and there were four candidates. Um, and yes, Michelle Bachelet ran away with the election. She got over a million and a half votes out of a little over two million votes cast. So I think the degree of um, of, of uh, turnout, I think, was what was surprising for many people and put her in a good position going into the um, into the fall election. The other side was the uh, Alliance of the Alliance, which is made up of two major parties: one we could call center right, and one we could call more right, hard right, and uh, everyone thought that the candidate from the center-right party, National Renovation, uh, whose name is Andres Ayamond, was going to win, and he lost. Um, he didn't lose by too much. The election was pretty close, uh, but um, the uh, candidate from the UDI party, uh, the Democratic Independent Union, which is a, 
party really pretty closely associated with the whole Pinochet era. Um, their candidate, Pablo Longueira, won. And the, the turnout uh, for them was actually uh, not very inspiring. So uh, they are kind of concerned about whether they could muster uh, people to get out really to vote in the enough people to vote in the fall to be able to win. Longuera won by about three percentage points, so so a bit of a squeaker. What can you tell us about him? Well, Longuera is, um, as I said, he, he's been a member of the uh, UDI party, uh, closely associated with uh, the Pinochet regime, uh, uh, a close supporter of them. Uh, he did vote, you know, in the plebiscite in 1988 that opened the way to uh, to free elections in Chile. He voted yes for Pinochet to remain in power, although there was a question about whether he was actually old enough to vote. He couldn't quite remember. Did he actually vote for him or did he just support him? But in any event, he certainly was associated with Pinochet. Um, he served, uh, he has served in the Senate. He He was in the current government of Sebastián Piñera, the first right-wing president elected. Um, since redemocratization, I think he's going to have a hard time uh, because his party and he have associations with uh, the Pinochet era, and this is, uh, you know, does not put him in a good place um, given the general atmosphere in Chile, which is, I think, more and more moving towards making some uh, more dramatic changes in the political system. The Pineda government has had its problems with a student movement for the past several years, a street protest movement that in some ways presages what we've seen go on in Brazil, Turkey, and elsewhere this summer. How do you think that will play into these coming months of campaigning? I think that movement is is critical for uh, uh for how the candidates are going to uh, to position themselves coming into the fall elections, it has you know the, these protests have gone on. Actually, they started first under Bachelet's presidency. Um, uh, there was what was known as the Penguin Revolution, and, and she only really partly dealt with them. And then they've they've emerged again under the Pineda government. Um, the students uh, have been supported by other groups, by unions. Uh, some of the protests have been really massive. And I think they're creating a climate that uh, is really pushing uh, elected officials to be less cautious, to be bolder, uh, and to make more uh, substantive changes. Uh, and certainly that's what Bachelet's and actually even the other candidates under the Constitution were all talking about. Um, Bachelet's talking about writing a new constitution in Chile. So that's a really major, uh, major undertaking, but I think it shows the the extent to which this election may in fact lead to some real transformation in Chile uh, from uh, from the old remnants for, uh, and eliminate these remnants of uh, of the Pinochet system that even you know twenty plus years uh, since redemocratization are still there. And when you speak of those remnants, we're talking about inequalities in the economic system, um, inequalities in education. Are there other areas? Well, there's the formal political system itself and the rules. So, for example, governors are not elected, they're appointed. Uh, Bachelet says she wants to change that. There's an electoral system called the binomial electoral system, which, um, so each electoral district has two candidates, whether it's for the lower house, the chamber of deputies, or the upper house, the senate. And a party, because of the way the calculation goes, 
a party that wins 33% plus one vote gets the second seat. Um, so it advantages um, uh, large minority parties. And Pinochet put this in place because he knew after the plebiscite, when he only got 44% of the vote, that the right was not going to get a majority. Um, and so he kind of skewed the rules to help the parties on the right uh, have an advantage in, uh, in in these elections. And that's what's happened. Um, so that's been something that they've talked about for a long time. They want to change the electoral system. And that means also, these changes also mean a new constitution, possibly, and yes, as you said, uh, dealing with long-standing social and economic inequalities, which I think impede Chile's ability to really move ahead. At some point, you really need to deal with... Uh, um, you know, significant uh, income and wealth inequalities. Chile certainly has been praised for its economic status in in Latin America, but but it's surprising that that it's the most unequal country in in the region. Uh, well, I'm not sure if it's the most unequal country. Uh, if if you have you know, but it's certainly among the worst. <laughs> um, you know, there's two ways of looking at it. One is that if you look at the data in terms of um, of poverty, the numbers of people, the percentage of the population who were poor has been going down steadily. And um, that's a mark of success. There have been a lot of social policies, particularly under the Constitución, aimed to, uh, at the most poor, to try to uh, improve their situations. So, you know, the boats rise, but that doesn't mean that they're all rising equally. And so the income distribution still remains very skewed and very unequal. You know, you have what looks like a kind of paradoxical situation. On the one hand, poverty levels have decreased, but on the other hand, inequality still remains. Um, How do you so see it is ironic in a way, but um, if you look at the region of Latin America, in general, they, uh, Latin America has very high levels of inequality. And that's why, for example, we're seeing the kind of protests we're seeing in, in Brazil, as you pointed out. How do you see Bachelet addressing these concerns in the campaign? beyond her constitutional proposal, is she going to deal with, with these other issues? Yes, I think she is. I, you know, in her first presidency uh, from 2006 to 2010, she came in talking about equity um, and greater participation, and she really wanted the grassroots, uh, which she had come from, uh, to really be more uh, uh, participant in uh, the, the decision-making process. She had some successes in, in that regard. She, she had social policies uh, which were intended to help uh, poor people, uh, and that's a continuation, really, of concentration policies from the very beginning. But I think, you know, that is her emphasis. Uh, she's a doctor. She really cares about these things. Uh, I think people see that in her, which is one reason why she's so popular. And I think she sees this election, and I may be putting too rosy a look on, uh, too rosy, a, you know, painting too rosy a picture. I think she sees this election as an opportunity for her to really do what she had wanted to do and couldn't fully do the first time around, um, to really push on the equity side. So the protests that, go, that are going on, in a sense, help her. Um, and will help her to, to, you know, it's kind of like riding the wave. You know, this helps her uh, to uh, 
push for things that I think she really does believe in. And there's one other thing, and it's a little bit of a wild card, and I'm not sure how this will play out in the general election, but there are some people who are going to run in November who weren't in primaries because their parties had nominated them. There weren't any contests. And the one person who I think is going to be really interesting to watch is Marco Enriquez Ominami. Um, he ran um, in the first round in 2009, and it was kind of a generational shift. Um, he has his own interesting history, <laughs> uh, political history, uh, where he comes from. But he ran kind of as a generational uh, challenge to the older Concertacion consensus candidate, Eduardo Frey, who was running for the nomination a second time. He'd been president in the 90s, 94 to 2000. And Ominami got 20% of the vote in the first round. And Frey only got 29 and, you know, 29 point something or other. So he really forced a second round uh, a runoff. Uh, he wasn't one of the two highest candidates, but he got 20% of the vote. He's running again, and he's going to be in the November election. So he's going to be running, uh, one could say, to the left of Bachelet. But I think that's also going to maybe allow Bachelet to also be more left than she might have been otherwise. It might even force her to be more left than she might have been otherwise. Well, I guess we will see lots to unfold in this particular campaign. Thank you, Dr. Lois Hecht Oppenheim the author of Politics in Chile and a professor at American Jewish University. Join us today on Latin Pulse from Los Angeles. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Coming up, insights into the modern dissident movement in Cuba. Stay with us. Democracy is synonymous with independence. Independence is synonymous with emancipation. Emancipation is synonymous with sovereignty. Sovereignty is synonymous with superiority. Superiority is synonymous with arrogance. Arrogance is synonymous with domination. And domination is synonymous with dictatorship. Dictatorship always finds its way. Amnesty International. Learn. Indignate. Act. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. This week we take a look at how Cuba's dissidents are finding new ways to oppose the government of Raul Castro. For the past half dozen years... Dissidents such as Yoni Sanchez and her blog Generation Y have opened the political debate like no other time since the Castros came to power in Cuba. But Cuba's dissident movement has deep roots, with many working in relative obscurity for decades. That's all changing with modern technology. Kurt Devine has our in-depth report. With the global expansion of the Internet, dissidents have stepped into the international limelight using blogs and social media to generate vast networks of supporters. Websites like Voices Cubanas and the Havana Times allow dissidents to critique the government, offer alternative perspectives, and connect with other civil society groups. Although only about 5% of Cubans have access to the Internet, dissidents have used innovative methods to spread their messages. Professor of Latino Studies at Baruch College in New York, Ted Hankin, explains this process. The Cuban and Cuba writing the blog can't easily or inexpensively access the blog, update those posts. So they have a partner abroad who voluntarily helps them do that. You know, so, for example, Havana Times, the editor lives in, in Managua, Nicaragua. His name is Circles Robinson. Uh, the, I think the webmaster lives in Japan. 
and then all of the writers, or just about all the writers, live in Havana or in, in Cuba. Uh, that's very similar to a lot of these other groups. They harness people around the world. Since the Cuban government condemns all anti-communist speech as enemy propaganda, activists still must take extreme precautions. They often download blogs and secretly share them on flash drives to allow Cubans on the island to access these materials. This gives dissidents the power of the Internet even when they cannot get online. Henkin explains that the Internet has also enabled activists to form stronger connections with Cubans living in the diaspora. Now, when the government attempts to suppress dissidents, a global audience stands united to critique those actions. In 2008, in, in August, the lead singer for the punk group Porno para Ricardo, his name is Gorky Aguila, he was uh, detained, and there was an outrage that you know, was a localized outrage among other artists and other activists in Cuba, but very soon it became internationally visible through the Internet, and there became an international petition that was started. And so before, if you were a dissident in Cuba, you often tried to hide, but now, because of the international connection through the use of Internet and social media, visibility has become an asset. Henkin says the growing unity within Cuba's civil society and its connections to the diaspora could create significant political leverage in years to come. This leverage will not fall into the hands of the Cuban people automatically, however. Cuban dissident Antonio Rodiles understands that democracy will only become possible when stronger ties exist between domestic and exile opposition forces. Rodiles' organization, Estado de Sats, strives to create public spaces where Cubans can discuss reform and build a wider network of support. The organization has filmed about 70 panel discussions and distributed them on DVD to generate conversation. Rodiles describes his work. The strategy is to try to uh, create bridges between all different sectors in the society, between the activists and the artists and the lawyers and the professionals and between all the different actors in the, in the society, we are trying to create a nexus and collaborations. Rodila spearheads a campaign called Por Otra Cuba, or For Another Cuba. The initiative aims to pressure the Castro regime to ratify the two United Nations Agreements for Civil and Political Rights that it signed in 2008. Already, Por Otra Cuba has gathered more than 4,000 digital signatures. But... Rodila says this work is more difficult than it sounds. Last year, the government detained him for 19 days on charges of resisting arrest. He says the government uses these forms of intimidation to stifle the dissident movement. But for sure, in some moment, the Cuba government is going to try to use violence to stop us, to, um, to try to, go, to send a clear message to the rest of the society. Rodiles agrees that the Internet gives activists the opportunity to speak from a new platform, one that the government cannot easily suppress. Although the Castro regime also spreads propaganda online, he says dissidents have widely used social media to their advantage. Uh, it is clear that the government control the television, the newspapers, the radio, and then the way that we have in, uh, to um, invade that control is to use all the resources that we have now with new technologies and new, new medias. Some scholars caution activists against overestimating the power of the Internet. Internet utopianism refers to the idea that cyberspace and new media will bring unprecedented freedom to the world, particularly to societies governed by repressive regimes. 
Scholar Mary Long of Colorado University says this line of thinking reduces new media into too narrow of a political paradigm. It's not going to be that political unified thing. I do see community being created. I do see there being connections, but they're not going then to serve the older political vision. She says blogs offer unprecedented opportunities for global discussions, and that social media allow citizens to organize in new ways. Despite these trends, Long does not believe Cuba's use of new media will translate directly into political reform apart from traditional forms of activism. For now, the future impact of the internet on Cuban society remains speculative. But the way dissidents use it to circumvent the government and create international networks has become increasingly clear. As Cuban activists become more connected on the island and throughout the world, they may achieve the political leverage necessary to create lasting reform. For Latin Pulse, I'm Kurt Devine. And now, Latin American Perspectives with Peter Hakem of the Inter-American Dialogue. Like almost everyone else, Brazil's President Dilma Rousseff was taken by surprise by the massive demonstrations that have rocked her country in the past few weeks. Although too long delayed, the president's first response was to embrace the demands of the protesters and pledge to address their many frustrations with the dismal quality of the nation's public services, with government waste, sky-high taxes, and rampant corruption, and with the nation's outrageous levels of inequality, despite recent improvements. The subsequent steep drop in public support for the president suggested that most Brazilians just did not believe her. For the first time ever, President Rousseff has to be worried whether she will win a second term in next year's elections. But other mainstream politicians should be equally concerned. Brazilians may have lost trust in all their leaders. Still, even though they expose much that is negative about the country, the massive protests may also be a sign of progress. First, they emerge from encouraging advances, including a generation of lively democratic competition and a robust economic performance in the opening decade of the century. These have produced a rapidly expanding, albeit vulnerable, middle class, which appears to be the driving force behind the demonstrations. The protesters have generated wide support across Brazil's diverse society without provoking polarizing rifts or partisan conflicts. But the demonstrations may indicate also that Brazil is again entering a cul-de-sac, that its aspirations are too grandiose and its progress too slow and erratic to be sustained. They are certainly reminders of critical weaknesses in the nation's political and civic institutions, which have been largely invisible as amorphous, undirected crowds without clearly defined priorities have shown the way. Whether the protests will propel change is uncertain. They just might peter out or become a source of confrontation and instability. However committed President Rousseff is to the task, it will not be easy to change Brazil in the fundamental ways demanded by the protesters. 
It will take huge amounts of money, many years, and difficult political battles to upgrade Brazilian schools and health facilities, to reduce government waste and corruption. As the polls reflect, managing Brazil after the protests will be a hard test of the Brazilian president's leadership. It will, however, also be an opportunity for Dilma Rousseff to emerge from her predecessor's shadow and set her own independent course. Her political future may depend on her success. Peter Hakem's opinions are his own and not the official opinions of this program. If you'd like to respond to his Latin American Perspectives commentary or any part of this program, you may contact us. You may leave us a message online via SoundCloud or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. Latin Pulse is available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, Hente Flow, and Musica Q. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org, forward slash Latin Pulse. And now a programming note. We'll be back online on our usual day, Friday, July the 12th. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For our entire team, associate producer Kurt Devine and announcer Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escucha nosotros vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is sponsored by the Center for Latin American and Latino Studies at American University. The program is produced at the university's School of Communication with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV with additional music from Canary Productions and Bath Time Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2013, Las Rocas Productions. <laughs> <laughs>